Hello and welcome to this week's podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things. This time for the Business Week ended 11th March 2022. This is Ian Haydock. This time, Big Pharma and Ukraine, a new gene therapy deal for Novartis, Phase 3 haemophilia success for Sanofi, J&J's Gorski's views on Asia innovation, and a look at pharma's deal-making activity last year. Big pharmaceutical manufacturers are continuing to deliver medicines to patients in Ukraine and Russia, as well as redirecting supplies to countries like Poland that are taking in refugees. But drug makers are also bracing for some modest business disruptions in Eastern Europe following Russia's attack on Ukraine. Jessica Merrill writes that executives from Pfizer, Merck Co, Johnson & Johnson and other global pharma companies talked in recent days about the potential impact of war in Ukraine on supply and distribution, revenues and clinical trials. The two countries account for a small amount of global revenues for the large pharma players in general, so the impact, for now at least, is not expected to be substantial. The region is an important area for clinical trial research, however. Deutsche Bank analyst Emmanuel Papadakis pointed out in a 2nd March note that indirect exposure in the form of clinical development trial programs may end up proving the more pertinent topic from a pharma perspective, given the trend to offshoring trials to regions such as Eastern Europe. First and foremost, companies said the biggest concern is for the safety of colleagues and patients in Ukraine. Pfizer, for example, has about 100 employees in that country, and Eastern Europe, more broadly, is a $2 billion business for the firm. Ukraine, specifically, was a relatively small $150 million business for the company in 2021. Similarly, Pfizer said it put contingency plans in place to build up supply in Russia and Ukraine ahead of the attack by Russia to ensure sufficient product supply. We'll use much of the strategies and approaches that we have deployed over the last several weeks to bolstering the neighbouring countries and ensure that, again, civilians and all our colleagues and the public are best taken care of, Pfizer Biopharmaceuticals Group President Angela Huang said at the Cohen Healthcare Conference on 7th March. Eli Lilly, Chief Financial Officer, Anat Ashkenazi, speaking at the same meeting the following day, said the company had not experienced any supply disruptions in the region yet, and was also advocating for its products to be excluded from any sanctions against Russia. The company operates through an affiliate in Russia and through a distributor in Ukraine, and the two countries combined made up less than 1% of Lilly's total revenues. Merck & Co. Chief Financial Officer Caroline Litchfield acknowledged in a presentation at Cohen on 7th March that Ukraine and Russia account for less than 1% of the company's global revenues, but that the war could impact some clinical trials. Merck has paused enrolment in clinical trials in the two countries and will rely on its global clinical trial network to continue to execute on those programs. Russia and Ukraine collectively represent about 6-7% to of the clinical trial activity that we have, and at the moment our focus is trying to make sure we don't leave any patient behind, she said. Novartis has reaffirmed its commitment to the gene therapy space by accessing US company Voyager Therapeutics' next-generation adeno-associated virus platform in a deal that could be worth up to $1.75 billion. The Swiss major is paying $54 million upfront to license novel AAV capsids generated from Voyager's RNA-driven tracer discovery platform for use with three undisclosed CNS targets, plus an option to access capsids for two additional targets. The logic behind the deal is clear, Kevin Grogan writes. 
Novartis noted that it was looking to build on its expertise and recent learnings to neurological diseases that manifest in deep brain regions where commonly used vectors have not been shown to effectively target and penetrate. Jay Brandner, who's head of the Novartis Institutes for Biomedical Research, said, The challenge of biodistribution of AAV gene therapies to target cell types in the brain is long-standing. But we refuse to believe it is insurmountable. We see the potential of Voyager's innovative platform to imagine new types of therapeutics for life-threatening CNS diseases. An initial set of capsids derived from the tracer platform have demonstrated superior blood-brain barrier penetration, increased transduction in the brain and spinal cord, enhanced cardiac muscle tropism and increased transgene expression in target tissues compared with conventional AAV capsids when dosed intravenously in non-human primates, Voyager claimed. Glenn Pierce, who's interim chief scientific officer at Voyager, said the firm's growing and maturing library of proprietary tracer-derived capsids have demonstrated markedly enhanced expression in non-human primates, with more precise targeting of desired tissue and cell types, creating the potential for superior delivery and fewer off-target risks than conventional AAV. The Novartis deal comes a few months after Voyager signed a pact with Pfizer, including 30 million up front, for a pair of AAV capsids for use in the development of gene therapy products in undisclosed neurologic and cardiovascular indications. Voyager had early faced several setbacks, including the 2019 return of rights by Sanofi to programs in Huntington's disease and Friedrich's ataxia, while a year later AbbVie pulled the plug on its programs with Voyager in Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. At the end of last year, Novartis purchased the UK biotech Gyroscope Therapeutics and its gene therapy for geographic atrophy. Sanofi and Swedish orphan Biovitrum, known as Sobi, have unveiled phase 3 results for FNS Octocog Alpha, which they believe confirm it as a potentially transformative factor 8 therapy for haemophilia A patients. Andrew McConaughey writes that the partners hope that the products can become the dominant option in the Factor 8 therapy market, which it forecasts will be worth $5 billion by 2030, by providing patients with a more convenient weekly dosing to replace the current standard two or three times weekly infusions. Companies even think that they can challenge Roche's Hemlibra, the antibody-based bleeding prophylaxis drug, which has seen patients switch over from Factor 8 products because of its convenient weekly every two weeks or every four weeks administration. Sanofi and Sobi's confidence has grown based on the positive top-line results from the Phase 3 Extend 1 trial, unveiled on 9th of March, which studied the candidate's safety, efficacy and pharmacokinetics as a weekly prophylaxis treatment in 159 previously treated patients of 12 years or over with severe haemophilia A. The study met the primary endpoint, showing a clinically meaningful prevention of bleeds, with the median annualised bleeding rate reduced to zero and a mean ABR of 0.71. This top-line performance is better than the 1-2 to two median ABR rate seen in existing Factor 8 therapies and is in line with the zero bleeds achieved by Hem Libra in its pivotal studies. The trial also hit a key secondary endpoint, showing that once weekly FNS Octocog Alpha was better than prior prophylactic factor 8 replacement therapy, including a significant reduction in ABR based on intrapatient comparison. The data will be used as the basis for submissions to global regulators, with the first coming later this year. 
The US FDA granted the product fast-track status in February 2021, but submission to the European Medicines Agency will have to wait for data from the ongoing Extend Kids paediatric study, which are not expected until 2023. The future is already here. It's just not very evenly distributed. The influential American-Canadian speculative fiction writer and futurist William Gibson is reported to have said in an interview some years ago. Addressing BioAsia 2022, Alex Gorski, who's the executive chairman of Johnson & Johnson, used Gibson's best-known aphorism to drive home the point on the growing potential and opportunities in Asia, which has seen a groundswell of innovation over the recent past and boasts about 36% of the world's unicorns, which is a term usually used to describe a startup valued at $1 billion or more. All eyes are on Asia for many different reasons. The intense concentration, if you reflect for a moment on things like technical expertise, groundbreaking innovation, and just really incredible market opportunities. It makes this continent one of the most exciting places around the world to be operating, Gorski declared at the virtual event. Andrew Gangodi writes that Gorski, who was J&J's CEO since 2012, but handed over the baton to Joaquin Duato in January this year, noted that with over 4 billion people in Asia, about half the world's patients, consumers and customers, the continent presents enormous opportunities and will be at the forefront of global consumption in the next decade. Much attributable to the fact that 3.5 billion people are going to come under universal healthcare in the next five years, and we believe healthcare spending is expected to increase up to $5 trillion in the region by 2030, Gorski pointed out. Some of the most exciting ideas and innovations in healthcare right now are coming from the region, he added. J&J's 2017 collaboration with Legend Biotech to develop and commercialise a made-in-China cell therapy, which has just been green-lighted in the US, could likely count as one such standout innovation. The US FDA recently approved what is Janssen's first cell therapy, Carvicti, which is a BCMA-directed CAR-T immunotherapy for the treatment of patients with relapsed or refractory multiple myeloma and which was born out of the Legend collaboration. China has more widely emerged as an important innovation hotspot in the Asia-Pacific, and in 2020 alone, Johnson & Johnson Innovation struck three new alliances in the country, including a research collaboration with Jiane Shanghai Biotechnology, which specialises in AI solutions for lung cancer management. J&J's goal, Gorski underscored, is to change the trajectory of health for humanity – and this means evolving its models to deliver quality healthcare for the greatest numbers and widest indications. Our ability to do this is influenced, and we believe will be influenced more, by the innovators in Asia with the talent, ingenuity and the agility, he added. Finally, in an interactive infographic article, Joseph Haas looks at pharma dealmaking last year, finding that Roche and Genentech was the busiest in the sector for the second consecutive year in 2021, followed by Sanofi, Takeda, Lilly, Novartis and Pfizer. While down from the 34 deals it struck in 2020, Roche Genentech did 23 last year, ahead of Sanofi with 22 and Takeda with 19. Merck & Co. paid the highest aggregate amount up front for deals in 2021 at $13 billion, while the single biggest deal was its $11 billion acquisition of Acceleron. Do check out the article in full for a much more detailed breakdown of the deal-making environment last year and much more data. 
That's all for now. Many thanks for listening. These stories, which are linked in the article accompanying this podcast, form just a fraction of the content in script over the past week. Log in to access all of this, or take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.